Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Broadcast. I hope you are having a fantastic day. With you as always, I am your ever so humble host, Tim Tapp, coming to you live from historic Roan County, Tennessee. Ladies and gentlemen, it is in fact May 29th. It is the day before Memorial Day. It is a fantastic yet somewhat overcast Sunday here in East Tennessee. Hope you're having a uh, brilliant weather day wherever you may be. And I hope you're having an opportunity to enjoy an extended weekend. Now, if you are one of those people who have to work during this extended holiday weekend, either out of necessity or for the convenience of others, allow me to thank you for doing your jobs. It's not a lot of fun not to have holidays, and it's really not a lot of fun to miss out on what has become the unofficial start of summer. But there are multiple reasons why it's important to have the day of observance. Now, if you're in law enforcement, if you are in healthcare and you have to work because someone has to do that job, then thank you very much for not only taking that career path, but being passionate enough not to let the lack of holidays get you down. And hopefully you work in a department or in an area where they at least make an effort to rotate among the employees so that you will occasionally get a holiday or you get one holiday and somebody gets the next, so on so forth, blah, blah, blah. Now, if you are somebody who works in an area where it's simply a matter of convenience for everyone else, like a, well, a convenience store, for example, or a quick service restaurant or a set-down restaurant – Places that we enjoy going, although this holiday has become something where 
restaurants typically aren't going to see a whole lot of action for most folks. It's a grill-out summertime activity. So most folks that are celebrating it will be cooking their own food. But if you're in one of those uh, wonderful professions, then thank you too for being dedicated enough to show up and to at least make life easier for your co-workers. It's kind of a big deal. One of the hardest things it is to get through uh, to employees, speaking as a manager, is sometimes getting them to understand that yeah, while you're looking at the world through your own eyes, uh, put yourself in the position of being the person who's there when you're shorthanded. Then suddenly that level of dedication changes. Now, let's get to the topic of Memorial Day, shall we? I mean, a lot of folks have completely forgotten what Memorial Day even is. It started out not even so much a holiday as much as it was a day of observance. Some folks have difficulty understanding that there is, in fact, a difference, but there is. We have kind of converted it into a holiday now, and we have lost track in a lot of ways about what we're actually meant to be doing. Now, Memorial Day is, in essence, a day that we are supposed to set aside to honor our fallen soldiers, those of us who were either… In the Navy, the Air Force, the Marines, the Coast Guard, the Army, of course, the National Guard, anybody who served in a forward position and did not come back, it's a day to keep them in mind. It's a day to honor those people who made the ultimate sacrifice, and that's something we should never forget. But it's also an opportunity… To remind ourselves, too, that we have veterans who did make it back who are underappreciated, so we should also take that opportunity. We also have family members of those who served who had to make sacrifices, too, and any opportunity we have to thank someone for their sacrifices so that we can maintain some freedom is a good thing. And we should do that. But Memorial Day isn't about the veterans. The veterans have their own day. I say go ahead and honor veterans too, but it is about our fallen, and we should not forget that. It is a solemn occasion. It should be looked at as a solemn occasion. It's not about having a long weekend. It's not about grilling out or going to the lake. It is not about anything other than honoring those Men and women who paid the ultimate sacrifice so that we could have our liberty. And it's very important to remember there is a difference between liberty and freedom. You can't have liberty without freedom, but you can be offered freedom and still not have true liberty. The problem is with liberty, you are completely responsible for yourself and your actions. Freedom means someone else has granted you an opportunity… Now, in this case, someone else paid a price, and this seems like a really good place to interject that saying that most of you have probably heard by now, and that is there are only two forces in the world that have offered to lay down their lives so that you may live and live free. One is Jesus Christ, and the other is the American soldier. There's a lot of truth to that. 
there's a reason why that gets said. So it is important that we go ahead and honor these people. You may have family members who paid this ultimate sacrifice. You may have close friends who have paid this ultimate sacrifice. For some of you, this touches home in a way that others will never understand, especially those youngest among us who have never served, who don't have family who served, who know nothing more about Memorial Day than, ah, there's a sale at the car lot, there's a sale at the mattress store, uh, there's a sale for charcoal down at the uh, grocery store. Uh, they're trying to raise the prices on meat to make up for the uh, sale on the charcoal. It's about a lot more than that, and we need to keep that in mind. We need to observe this day with the solemn distinction that it deserves. I mean, Memorial Day is it's about remembering. And it seems like, unfortunately, a lot of us here in the United States simply don't anymore. Memorial Day is not something that you see in Canada or in Mexico or in Britain. It is strictly an American holiday. It's observed the last Monday of May. It honors men and women who died while serving in the U.S. military, originally known as Decoration Day. It originated in the years following the Civil War, and it became an official holiday or a day of observance. In the year I was born, back in 1971, now many Americans observe Memorial Day by visiting cemeteries or memorials, holding family gatherings. Those are those cookouts we kept talking about, and participating in parades. Unofficially, it is considered the start of the summer season. In its most early observances… Uh, you saw in the Civil War where it claimed more lives than any conflict in U.S. history, requiring the establishment of the country's first national cemeteries. And by the late 1860s, Americans in various towns and cities had begun holding springtime tributes to these countless fallen soldiers, decorating their graves with flowers and reciting prayers. Now, each year on Memorial Day, a national moment of remembrance takes place at 3 p.m. your local time. How many of you all know that? How many of you participate in that? Several of the older members of this listening audience, and thank God that you're there and still fighting the good fight too, make up a, actually a pretty big chunk of my uh, listening audience. You guys probably know this. You probably remember it. have are probably making preparations tomorrow, 3 p.m., your local time, a moment of silence to remember those fallen. Now, it's not completely clear where exactly the tradition originated. Numerous different communities uh, have independently initiated 
their memorial gatherings. But nevertheless, in 1966, the federal government declared Waterloo, New York, the official birthplace of Memorial Day. Waterloo, which had first celebrated the day on May 5, 1866, was chosen because it hosted an annual community-wide event during which businesses closed and residents decorated the graves of soldiers with flowers and flags. Now, on May 5th of 1868, General John A. Logan, leader of an organization for Northern Civil War veterans, called for a nationwide day of remembrance later that month. The 30th of May, 1868, is designated for the purpose of strewing with flowers or otherwise decorating the graves of comrades who died in defense of their country during the late rebellion and whose bodies now lie in almost every city, village, and hamlet churchyard in this land. The date of Decoration Day, as he called it, was chosen because it wasn't the anniversary of any particular battle. The idea was to allow no particular soured feelings to cloud the judgment or the thinking process of those who would participate in this to try and normalize the feelings between the North and the South during that time frame. Now, on the first Decoration Day, General James Garfield made a speech at Arlington National Cemetery. There were 5,000 participants that decorated the graves of the 20,000 Union and Confederate soldiers buried there. Now, many northern states held similar commemorative events and repraised the tradition in subsequent years. By 1890, each one had made Decoration Day an official state holiday. Many southern states, however, continued to honor their dead on separate days until after World War I. Memorial Day as Decoration Day gradually came to be known originally honored only those lost while fighting in the Civil War. But during World War I, the United States found itself embroiled in another major conflict, and the holiday, the Day of Observance, evolved to commemorate American military personnel who died in all wars. Now, for decades, Memorial Day continued to be observed on May 30th the date that Logan had selected for the first Decoration Day. But in 1968, Congress passed the Uniform Monday Holiday Act, which established Memorial Day as the last Monday in May in order to create a three-day weekend for federal employees. Good to know that their heart was in the right place. The change went into effect in 1971. The same law also declared Memorial Day a federal holiday. Cities and towns across the United States host Memorial Day parades each and every year, often incorporating military personnel as members of veterans' organizations. Some of the largest parades take place in Chicago, New York, and Washington, D.C. Americans also observe Memorial Day by visiting cemeteries and memorials. And uh, on a less somber note, 
Many people throw parties and barbecues, perhaps because it's the unofficial beginning of summer, or perhaps it's because while these brave men and women in fact lost their lives for the dedication to their nation, they honored and answered the call. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's not such a bad thing to celebrate the liberty and the freedoms that they helped to guarantee that they paid for. So ladies and gentlemen, please, each and every time you eat a piece of whatever got cooked on your grill, <laughs> whether it's steak or hamburger or hot dogs or kielbasas, uh, heaven knows we do a ton of different things. There is no standard fare anymore, and that's a good thing. Variety is awesome. Every bite you take, every drink whether you're drinking sweet tea or soda or beer or whatever it is that you've got paired with your meal, your wine, your spritzer, your mixed drinks, whatever you're doing, however you're celebrating, however you're observing this rather somber occasion, take a few minutes to remember the only reason you're getting to do that is because a lot of people that you don't know, and maybe a few that you do, paid that ultimate price so that you could. So ladies and gentlemen, let's have a great Memorial Day this 2016. Let's enjoy it as much as we can, but let's not forget. Let's honor. Let's observe. Let's Keep in mind that those who are no longer with us, that are the reason for that liberty. All right, now we're going to switch gears. You know, that's that's Memorial Day, okay? It's a big deal tomorrow. Remember, 3 p.m. Monday, your local time, moment of silence. If you've never done it before, please at least consider doing it this time. That's part of the deal. Now, this past week was interesting. Uh, not a lot of new news necessarily, a lot of rehash of news that we were aware of, things that we knew were going on. But there is some stuff worth talking about, and we definitely want to get into it. But before we do that, I've got two things that, we, that I said that we would get back to before 
Uh, we moved any forward, and I wanted to talk about multiculturalism, and I really wanted to talk about it several weeks ago, and it was a back burner into the show topic because, in, in all honesty, it's not a topic that requires much discussion, but it's important that we have that discussion. We need to have it because we need to understand what people are really doing when they talk about multiculturalism. Now, I did some research. Surprise, surprise. You know, any good host is going to research the topics if it's something in particular. But multiculturalism actually is a construct of academia. The earliest that I could find reference to the actual at that point in time it was being used as a means to try and describe the transformation of certain cultures of the past. The idea was that it was actually associated with very much the reality that multiculturalism in that form can't truly exist. It's what occurs during transition. You can't have multiple cultures that are equal within a society and not have one of them waning and the other increasing, which means one of them is in the process of taking over the other. This idea of multiculturalism now, once again, the progressives have tried to change the meaning, and we first saw that right here in the United States during the late 60s and early 70s during the Civil Rights Movement. The idea was that black Americans had a completely different culture than the rest of America, and it was okay, and now they try and tell you that… All cultures are equal is what it actually means. If you look up the definition of multiculturalism right now, if you pull up that definition, it will tell you right now that it is the idea or concept that all cultures are equally valid and equally important. Now that on the surface sounds relatively reasonable, right? Certainly sounds innocent enough. Even sounds like an idea or concept that most people can get behind simply because you know we have our culture. But that doesn't mean that it discredits the culture of our friends and other nations that have completely different cultures. Historically speaking, when you look at the great cultures of the past, each one of these cultures played some role in moving us forward. Some of them more so than others, but in each case, they played an important role, so they would be equally important in getting us to the future we now exist in. But you see, it's not used that way anymore. It's a poisoned idea. It's an idea that typically is used right now as a means to try and push acceptance of the Mohammedans. Those who would follow the teachings of Muhammad in its truest, strictest form, they call it Islam. Not every person that claims to adhere to Islam is actually a Mohammedan. In fact, it would probably be very surprising to most Americans if they had any clue how many people who profess to be Islamic have never read the Quran 
or the Hadith. The truth of the matter is many have not, which they're taught by their imams to memorize a few passages, and then they're sent about their way. Multiculturalism is now a weapon that is being used by ultra-leftists in their effort to try and destroy Western civilization. The very concept, the very notion must be thought against because it does sound benign, because it does sound simple and and loving, and, and it's another one of those tree-hugging concepts that people who have not done the proper research and who do not understand what's going on behind the scenes when people claim multiculturalism, if they don't know what they're up to, then it sounds like something that is reasonable. It's not. They define it in a way that makes it sound reasonable, but it's not. They want you to believe that it's about respecting your neighbors, respecting other countries, respecting other people. That's not what it is. I'm going to take a quick break to give a shout-out to Lady Michelle. She's joined us in the chat room. Uh that she looked for me earlier, didn't see the show scheduled. Um, you know, I don't know what it is, uh, Michelle, about uh, uh, BTR showing my uh, schedule uh, <laughs> when I do schedule it up. But, uh, you know, for whatever reason, they don't do it a lot. Um, you know, I took last week off. There was no way I was missing this week because I wanted to do the Memorial Day thing, which, you know, I've already done and I've moved on now I'm talking about multiculturalism uh, but thank you for joining me here on this holiday weekend and being part of the show I appreciate it did get a little bit of a later start than usual and I knew that was going to be the case but glad to have you here and with me and uh, while I'm at it everybody else who's listening whether you're listening live or you're catching the show in podcast in the many multitude of places where you can find it whether it's at stitcher.com or tunein.com or podcast.com or all the other wonderful, awesome places like iTunes. Thank you for listening. Thank you for making me part of your day. I appreciate that. Now, in all honesty, there's not a whole lot left to say about the multiculturalism other than the fact that it is simply a tool. You've got to look at it. Do the research yourself, though. I mean I say it at the end of every broadcast. Don't take my word for it. Look it up yourself. See how much you can find because it actually took some effort for me to find those first uses of the actual term, that it was actually a, a construct of academia and the fact that it was being used specifically for the purpose of explaining – initially, there was some honesty in the term. It was trying to explain – the shift in a nation when you have two or more cultures that are vying for control. Welcome to the chat room, Crystal. Glad to have you with us now, too. So. But when you have more than one culture dominating the same geographic boundaries, we're going to call them countries, 
I know there's a big push for a lot of folks to try and pretend like borders don't exist and sovereign nation states shouldn't either. But the whole idea was initially a concept used to describe the transition, the battle between cultures. You know, and it's something that we see a lot going on here in the United States now. We have a culture war going on. The so-called progressives have been pushing a culture war on us for some time, and the lines are getting drawn harder and faster, and it is becoming more and more obvious that if you are conservative-minded in the least, the time of just sitting back and saying, hey, that could never happen here has passed. It's time to get vocal. It's time to get loud. It's time to be angry. But it's also important to remember, facts are important. So that's what multiculturalism did. It started out as this wonderful idea to discuss changes within a nation as one culture gave way to another, that transitional time period. It was never meant to… It's this kumbaya moment that we get preached about now that, oh, it's perfectly okay, and cultures can exist together. It's fine. It can be done. We just have to put aside those differences, you know, those differences like uh, those who follow Mohammed want to behead the rest of us. That's kind of a hard one to get past as far as I'm concerned, but… That's exactly what you're supposed to be doing when you hear these ultra-leftists, these so-called progressives, stand up and tell you we need to embrace multiculturalism. When they use that term, we need to run for the hills. Well, we need to be running back to our house, getting our guns, loading, bringing extra ammo, and then running back to put an end to it because multiculturalism cannot exist. It can't. We can't allow it. Multiculturalism is a bad idea. It means they're trying to end the culture that exists. And here in the United States, the culture that exists, or at least the one that did exist for about the first 100, 120 years after the founding of the Constitution, was one of freedom and personal liberty and personal responsibility, and that's the culture we've got to bring back. That culture is disappearing. We see it. Everybody sets back, and they're talking about, oh, well, the government needs to take care of me. I need this. I need that. Meanwhile, the rest of us who know better, who embrace liberty, who embrace responsibility, who step up every day to take care of ourselves, our family, our loved ones, and then whatever charity we decide to go beyond that. We're the ones who get stuck with the bill while the state would just give away all of our hard-earned treasure. That's a mentality. That's a new culture, and that has got to be reversed. We can do it. We still can teach a whole new generation of young Americans the value of hard work, the value of self-reliance. Can you imagine how much better off the entire world would be if we and some of our closest allies with Western philosophies would go back to teaching their young people… How good it feels to do stuff for yourself. <laughs> Michelle in the chat room says that it ain't her job to take care of you. 
if the only reason you can't take care of yourself is because you're a lazy ass. Uh, it's a quote, so I'm allowed to do the profanity. <laughs> this is not bad profanity. And Michelle is right. That's the general message. If you genuinely need help, I don't know of anybody that's really upset about a safety net existing. Most of us would prefer that the government not be involved with that safety net. Charity starts at home. Choice, the opportunity. I get to choose who I'm going to help rather than have the government make that decision for me. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, any where with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. We have got to teach these young people not that it's cool to sit at home and get all these benefits and not have to work and uh, stay in school till you're 40 and then move back in with mom and dad because I can't get a job or crap and I still can't take care of myself. That's the wrong message, but that's where we're at. We are getting to a tipping point, and it's one that we have got to take it upon ourselves to fix. Bottom line is I don't care if you're a Trump supporter and you're fired up and ready for him to take the White House… Or if you just accidentally found this show looking for something else and you happen to support Hillary or Bernie, uh, regardless of that, we can't wait on the government to fix things. We can't expect for the government to – in fact, if you think the government can fix anything, you haven't been paying attention. One of the biggest jokes, one of the scariest things ever said is, hello, I'm with the government, and I'm here to help. Run! Bad things are going to happen. If you thought it was messed up before, it's going to get worse. They're going to waste taxpayer dollars and accomplish nothing. In fact, probably make whatever that problem was worth and create at least two or three new problems. At least. Possibly more. Probably more. Anyway, that's multiculturalism, and that is the reason why culture wars exist within a nation. It's also why it's important to fight in the culture war. <coughs> Excuse. Now, let's uh, let's talk about some of the bigger stories of this past week. We'll hit uh, a few of them real quick, and uh, you know, one of these is a headline that you may have missed. Uh, you know, if you. Uh, if you're a regular listener and you also spend time uh, checking out the Tap into the Truth Facebook page, you will have seen this. 
really like for it to come on up. I'm trying to pop up the article right now. But uh, this is part of the culture war, and it is a headline that you may have missed. So I will go ahead and give this to you. The headline reads, Whoopi Goldberg to produce transgender model reality show. Think uh, – uh, oh, what? Now I'm trying to think of the name of the show. I didn't know this. Uh, what was it? Runway? Uh, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, it's a model show. They're going to try and play it off like it is a reality TV show, which we know most reality TV shows are anything but. Uh, there's a whole lot of uh, scripted action just for the the fun of it. And... I'm just not having any success here with pulling this article up. But the point is that Whoopi Goldberg has decided that she is going to host this show. I don't know if she pitched it to the network, uh, but you know, it would think America's top models uh, or America's next top model. Uh, you know, this is the idea. Only they're going to take transgender people, and the whole notion is that while they're doing this. They're supposed to be demonstrating how cool it is to be transgender and that it's okay to be transgendered and that you know we're just a bunch of bigoted people if we have a problem with uh, having transgendered activities plastered all over our society. You're a hater. You're a bigot. Well, you know what? I've been called that and worse for a long time. I'm not particularly worried about the name calling. My concern is with the actual well-being of these people who are living a transgendered life because they're not healthy. They're not going to have a, a life that is going to be happy. The numbers tell you everything you need to know, but what aggravates me more than anything is… Somebody needs to call Whoopi out for this, not because she's doing a transgender show. Somebody wants to do a transgender show, fine. They can. All right, I don't have to watch it. They want to put it on whatever network they want to. I don't have to watch it if I don't want to. That's the great thing about America. You have the freedom to do this. I have the freedom to ignore it if I choose, and I don't have to comment on it. But I can comment on it if I want. I can say what I have to say, but it doesn't change anything. You still get to have your show. My opposition to you doing this show, if I have this opposition, makes no difference to the outcome. What Whoopi needs to be called out on, however, is the simple fact that she doesn't give a rat's backside about transgendered people. She may know one or two persons who claim to be transgender. She may have that personal connection, and she may care about them. But as far as the cause is concerned, this isn't about them. This isn't about showing their struggle as they seek to form their identity. This is about Whoopi Goldberg getting herself on TV on one more outlet. This is about Whoopi Goldberg taking advantage of these people to turn it into 
a freak show. Now, I know some people are going to be offended by my use of the term in reference to this particular show. But the bottom line is, regardless of whether you're offended or not, this is about what's going to be shocking, what's going to get people to tune in. Because I guarantee you people will look at this television show when it first comes out. It may never get any ratings worthwhile after that first show. Usually it takes two or three episodes before the ratings drop off terribly. It may be the worst show ever, and it may go away quickly. It may go away even faster than that god-awful TV show Sex Box. And dang, I am so happy that it is gone. But Whoopi needs to be called out for actually using these people to further her own career because that's what she's doing. She gets to stand back and claim to be fighting for the cause. I'm a good liberal. I'm a good so-called progressive. I am Whoopi Goldberg. I get to stand back, and I get to poo-poo on any conservative that's dumb enough to come on The View, and then I get to pretend like because I'm some kind of Hollywood specialty that uh, I have the right to say what I want, and if you don't like it, you're a bigot, and whoo, I'm for the cause. Meanwhile, she's just using these people. And the saddest part is most of these people are, in fact, the useful idiots that I keep trying to warn them. I keep trying to warn you that don't let yourself become a useful idiot because anybody can become one. You can be pretty smart and still be a useful idiot because the bottom line is, is you put your faith in the wrong person. You believe that Whoopi Goldberg is on your side. Whoopi Goldberg is on her side. Now, Michelle in chat room uh, asked if Whoopi is one of those people that claimed that she was going to leave the U.S. if Trump gets elected. I don't remember seeing Whoopi on any of those lists, but she may have. Uh, I can uh, I can hope. It's not like any of them in it. And you know, it shows that they're all racist too. Why are they all moving to Canada? Why isn't not at least one of them moving to Mexico? I don't understand. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, if you happen to support the LGBTQ, whatever new letter you want to add on to try and pump your percentage of the U.S. population to over 4%, uh, go for it. See who will have you. Kobe Goldberg is going to get some exposure. For transgender people here. She is. But she's also going to get a lot more exposure for who? For Whoopi. That's what this is about. So don't be fooled. Don't let her convince you that she's your knight in shining armor here. Whoopi Goldberg 
is out for Whoopi Goldberg, and everybody needs to call her out on it. Uh, Michelle also pointed out the again that Bruce Jenner is considering going back to Bruce. Well, you know, there's a reason for that. I, we heard from the very beginning, or at least people who pay attention to these kind of things, that it was all a publicity stunt, that the ratings uh, were dropping like a rock for the Cardassians because nothing worthwhile was happening, and only the youngest of the millennials were ever were still watching it at this point. I know that that doesn't represent a significant uh, number of people, but uh, it certainly doesn't represent the number of people who were watching the show initially. So it was it's a publicity stunt, and you know, Bruce at at the very least Bruce did this, and he put himself on the firing line. That's fine. You know, if I decided tomorrow that I was going to uh, get on a clock tower and start uh, shouting uh, at my local elected officials until either they came and arrested me or that they made a change uh, to be better stewards of our financial uh, county taxpayer dollars, I'm trying to think of something I might actually do um, as a form of protest. Then guess what? I've chosen to put myself in that position. Bruce Jenner and the effort to become Caitlin. Hello, Kate. He put himself in that position. He didn't drag other people in. Whoopi Goldberg is dragging other people into this. Now they're volunteering. They're looking. I'm going to be on. That's fine. That's great. <clears throat> but you're being used. And if you're okay with being used, you think you're going to get something out of it, then I hope you do. But for all the other people that don't, guess what? Don't have sour grapes later. You've been warned. Now, Michelle does point out a very good point in the chat room saying that uh, that if you get cable TV… And the same thing with satellite. Then you're paying for all the programs, whether you want the programs or not. Just if it's part of your package, then you're paying for it. So you're helping to support it. And while that may be true, you know, you're essentially you're also still paying for a service. You have to get uh, – unfortunately, the cable companies or the satellite companies decide what's in with each package. You know, and there's certain manipulation involved with that too. They're looking to do what they want to do, and they're looking to push networks that they want to push because they get a better deal. Uh, they're getting bigger kickbacks, whatever the case may be. It's all good, but uh, at the end of the day, you still get to choose what you're watching. You don't ever have to watch the program, even if it's part of the package you get. You can keep it on a different network. You can uh, leave it on whatever channel you want. You can leave it on the science channel. You can leave it on the history channel. You can leave it on whatever network you want, or you can bounce around like I do and watch a bunch of different stuff when time allows. Not that I've had a whole lot of time for television lately. 
But the bottom line is, is you still have the choice. And if they're determined to put this on, then they're going to. But at any rate, it is absolutely insane that Whoopi Goldberg is going to get to stand back and pretend to be a hero for the transgendered by virtue of putting this show on the air. When all she's doing is she's taking advantage of them for her own personal gain. So there's the uh, headline that you may have missed. Now, a headline that I know you didn't miss, but a big, big story this past week, and this is huge. A judge in Baltimore this past Monday found Mr. Edward Nero, Boston police officer, not guilty on all charges against him in connection with the death of Freddie Gray. Now, Freddie Gray, of course, died in police With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Custody. Uh, They made this awesome big deal. We had riots. It was just an absolute circus. The mayor told the police to stand down, and they let them destroy the business district. A lot of fallout came from this. Now, Officer Nero faced second-degree assault, misconduct in an office, and reckless endangerment charges. The prosecutor said that the 30-year-old unlawfully arrested Gray without probable cause and was negligent when he didn't buckle the prisoner into a seatbelt. He, his wife, and family were absolutely elated that the nightmare is finally over, understandably so. This, according to defense attorney Mark Zion, who represented Officer Nero. In a lengthy analysis, read from the bench, Baltimore Circuit Judge Barry Williams, a black American, I might add, said that Nero's partner, Officer Garrett Miller, detained and arrested Gray himself. Williams said Nero did not actually uh, was not actually involved, so he did not act in a fashion that would make him culpable. 
and he certainly was not involved with any intent to commit a crime. He did not act with any intent to commit a crime. He also said that the state failed to prove that Nero was informed and aware uh, of an updated transport policy regarding seatbelts. Quote, as the eyes of the nation are upon us, I have no doubt we will all exhibit behaviors that represent the very best of Baltimore. That was from Police Commissioner Kevin Davis. Although the criminal case against Officer Edward Nero has come to a close, the internal investigation has not. With that, Officer Nero's status will remain unchanged. He will remain in an administrative capacity while this investigation continues. That according to police spokesman T.J. Smith. Officer Nero is relieved that for him, this nightmare is nearing an end. Being falsely charged with a crime and being prosecuted for reasons that have nothing to do with justice is a horror that no person should ever have to endure. That quote from the Baltimore City Fraternal Order of Police. As the verdict was read, Nero dropped his head down, and his attorney placed a hand on his back. The courtroom was quiet. When the judge said he was not guilty, Nero stood up and hugged his attorney and appeared to wipe away a tear. Now, several angry protesters surrounded Nero's brother as he left the courthouse, protected by armed security officers, shouting, no justice, no peace. Hmm, how original. Quote, this is our American system of justice, and police officers must be afforded the same justice system as every other citizen in the city, state, and country. In the case of any disturbance in the city, we are prepared to respond. We will protect our neighborhoods, our businesses, and the people of our city. This was Mayor Stephanie Rawlings Blank. You know, the same mayor who said, uh, just let them riot, pull back. Now, here's the big thing, though. Nero opted for a bench trial rather than a jury trial. A judge declared a mistrial for Officer William Porter back in December. Um, now, the whole idea of the bench trial, in case you're not familiar with it, is point blank I'm sorry, I was sort of reading in the chat room. Uh, if Shells has uh, said Boston, uh, if I did, then I flubbed up. It's, of course, Baltimore. Uh, a bench trial simply means that rather than have a jury, you're just going to let the judge make the determination. That way you don't have to worry about the emotions that can get carried away. Obviously, there was concerns about the possibility of having a fair trial, of having a jury that would be willing to give exactly 
the fair and impartial hearing that you have to have in a trial like this to stay away from the mob mentality and to stay away from the possibility of prosecutors playing on the politically charged environment. He took the bench trial, and he took the gamble that the judge would not fall for such a thing either. And in this case, thank goodness, the judge did not. Now, just in case anybody needs a refresher, Gray died back in April 19th of 2015. This was a week after his neck was broken in the back of a police transport van while he was handcuffed and shackled but left unrestrained by a seatbelt. Or that's what we've been told. Now again, there are still a lot of hush-hush about Mr. Gray's medical history going into this event. It's been all but proven that he had actually recently had neck surgery. That changes the situation. He should not have even been out and about just yet. He should have been home resting while he still recuperated and convalesced. He was not at 100%, so it would not have taken very much to aggravate the current injury or make a new far worse injury. Now, that was rumor at first, and then it was all but verified. But because of the nature of privacy in the medical field, that is information that we really shouldn't be privy to. Bottom line is, though, from everything that I saw, the reports that I've seen, uh, that it probably is the case. And so this really doesn't constitute anything more than a tragic accident. The race baiters and the race hustlers of this country, however, see an opportunity to create some unrest, and they are all about it. I'm sure everybody remembers the more than a week of protests followed by looting, rioting, and arson. Funny how some folks still call that protesting. Sorry, it's not. Protesting is a peaceful activity where you might raise your voice, you might have something to say. But the minute you start destroying property or start assaulting people… You're no longer protesting. You're rioting, and that is against the law. There is no constitutional right to riot. There is no constitutional right to loot. There is no constitutional right to commit arson, which is something that a lot of these Trump protesters should be made aware of too. There needs to be more cops cracking down on these morons that are just trying to stir up crap. Tessa Hill Aston, president of the Baltimore chapter of the NAACP, said that the case, quote, speaks to a lack of training and a lack of protocol that officers didn't see that Gray should have been buckled into the seat. On the morning of April 12, 2015, Nero Miller and Lieutenant Brian Rice were on patrol in Baltimore's high-crime area of the Western District when Rice made eye contact with Gray, and he ran away. Rice called for backup, 
and Miller and Nero responded. Now this, according to the testimony, Miller, who had jumped off his bicycle, caught up with Gray and placed him in handcuffs. Nero's attorney, Mark uh, Zion, said that Nero touched Gray to help him up from the ground after he'd been handcuffed and was asking for an inhaler. Gray was placed in the back of a transport van seated on the wagon's bench. A few blocks away, the van stopped, and Rice and Miller took Gray, who police had been, who police said he had been kicking and screaming and shaking the van. They took him out of the wagon, placed him in leg irons, and replaced his metal cuffs with plastic ones. The officers, with Nero's help, loaded Gray back into the van, sliding him into the compartment on his belly and head first. That was the second and last time Nero touched Gray, this according to his attorney. Prosecutor said the officers should never have arrested Gray without first patting him down to determine whether or not he was armed and dangerous. In failing to do so, the officers violated the rules for a routine stop. Without probable cause, Gray never should have been taken into custody. The judge, of course, disagreed. I would have to disagree because if you make eye contact with the cop and then you run, that does constitute probable cause. All he did was look at you. Hello, I, I see you. I don't care what kind of a record you have. <clears throat> I don't care how many times you've been arrested. I don't care what you have been doing in the past. If you're not doing anything at the moment, you're not going to run just because a cop makes eye contact with you. You're not. Because you know nothing good comes from running from the police. I don't care if this was the dirtiest, most evil cop ever. No matter how bad he's going to harass you, it's only going to be worse if you run. This guy's got a long enough criminal career to know that as a fact. Michelle points out in the chat room that Freddie Gray's family was paid off $6 million. But that's not good enough. They still want these cops to burn because these cops did their job. So thank goodness that this judge looked at the case that was presented, looked at the facts on the table, and said, bottom line, 
Nothing to see here. This officer did nothing more but respond to a request for backup. He did lay his hands on him a couple of times, evidently. But that was about it. So there you go. That was a big story. Now, another quick story from the culture war. Now, all of you guys know, you know, the last broadcast that I had, which you know, I was off last week. Uh, it was unexpected, actually, uh, kind of a, a last-minute thing. But we had talked about the new edict from on high. The uh, guy who thinks he is king, you know, Barack Hussein Ali Akbar Obama, he decided to tell every school system in America that they had to let transgender kids go to the bathroom, whichever bathroom, whichever locker room they wanted to go in. Well, with lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is where projects come to life. Our showrooms are designed to inspire with the latest products from top brands, curated in an inviting, hands-on environment, and a team of industry experts to support your project. We'll be there to make sure everything goes as planned, from product selection to delivery coordination. At Ferguson Bath, Kitchen, and Lighting Gallery, your project is our priority. See the latest designs from your favorite brands, including Thermador, at your local Ferguson showroom. You see, I don't know if he didn't expect it or if he's just trying to stir crap up, and he did expect it, and he thought this would make a great distraction point. But some states decided they were going to fight back, and as of right now, there are at least 11 states being led by Texas that are suing the Obama administration over the new policy. Uh, basically, they're saying that the public school systems must let transgender students use the bathroom of their choice, calling the directive, quote, a massive social experiment running roughshod over common sense policies. It's actually in the complaint. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton said this past Wednesday that the lawsuit is about defending the Constitution from an effort by the Obama administration to redefine anti-discrimination laws to cover transgender bathroom rights in schools. He said he was willing to fight the case all the way to the Supreme Court if we have to. The Justice Department said back in 2014 that discrimination against transgender people was barred under federal laws that prevent discrimination based on sex. The administration has also pointed to a recent federal appeals court ruling, you know, that nasty little ruling in Richmond, Virginia, uh, that uh, kind of held up that view. The federal government 
Mr. Paxton said, quote, didn't follow the proper procedures in issuing this guidelines to the schools. Quote, this isn't an interpretive case of law. This is a rewrite of law. Now, a Justice Department spokeswoman said that the agency is in fact reviewing the complaint and added, quote, the federal government has strong legal foundations to uphold the civil rights of transgender Americans. Uh, really? I'm going to question that. I'm having a hard time believing it. Now, the lawsuit is the latest front in the battle over the rights of transgender people. <gasps> is it? Which erupted, of course, when North Carolina passed a law back on March 23rd, requiring transgender people to use the bathroom corresponding with the sex on their birth certificate. Texas was joined in this lawsuit by the likes of Alabama, Wisconsin, West Virginia, Tennessee, Arizona, Oklahoma, Louisiana, Utah – a little surprised by Utah, actually – and Georgia. A little surprised by Georgia also, to be honest, given that the governor caved – uh, on their religious uh, protections bill just so that the NFL wouldn't pull the Super Bowl out of Georgia. Hmm. It's really what that came down to. Ooh, they're going to stop filming The Walking Dead in Georgia, and ooh, they're going to stop bringing any Hollywood stuff to Georgia, and ooh, the NFL is not going to let you host a Super Bowl. Now, that does represent a huge amount of cash for the state, and I get that the governor has to balance – what's best for the majority of the state, and sometimes that means keeping that cash flowing. So I get that. I understand being in a tough spot, but there still comes a point, Governor, where you have to put what's best for protecting those in your state. The Christians in your state need to be protected more so than any other group in your state. I promise you that. Because they're the ones that are really under fire right now. He gave up on that. He gave in. He let them win. He did away with the religious protections bill. He vetoed it. But Georgia joined in in this lawsuit as well as school districts in Texas and Arizona, and Maine Governor Paul LePage… Now, most of the states are controlled by Republicans, no surprise, and all of the attorney generals who signed the lawsuit filed in federal court in the northern district of Texas. Well, most of them are Republicans too. It's funny how they like to point that out. Now, Mr. Paxson and his predecessor in the attorney general's office, the current governor, Greg Abbott, have sued the federal government more than two dozen times over environmental, social, and other policies. Texas took the lead last year in challenging President Obama's executive order, challenging the immigration system. Now, Mr. Abbott, a Republican – I love how they like to keep pointing that out, don't you? Mr. Abbott praised the lawsuit, quote, the Obama administration has routinely trampled on the United States Constitution, and this latest executive action is yet another example of the administration's disregard for the rule of law. 
He also went on to say, quote, the president continues to violate the Constitution by trying to rewrite laws as if he were a king. Glad to see some folks get it. The Constitution exists. There are limits on the power, and every time he does something that extends uh, past the constitutional limitations on his office, everybody needs to fight back. Even if it's an idea that you like, even if it's something that you support, you still need to stand against it because once the Constitution's gone, boys and girls, there are no more protections, and all we have is a hard tyranny. At any rate, the North Carolina… I'm sorry, North Carolina. I said the North Carolina. Well, there is only one North Carolina, too. Okay. <laughs> North Carolina and the Obama administration filed dueling lawsuits earlier this month over the state bathroom law. In a legal case that may settle for good the question of whether the 1964 Civil Rights Act protects transgender people. <sighs> Wednesday's lawsuit claimed the Obama administration dramatically overstepped its power by illegally seeking to change the way Congress has interpreted the term sex in federal law. The text employed by Congress does not support the term sex as anything other than one's immutable biological sex as determined at birth. That's what the complaint says. The defendants cannot expand uh, – they, they simply cannot expand or abridge the state's sovereign immunity by rewriting the definition of sex as it was originally adopted by Congress. Can you believe we literally live in a world – we live in a time… Where gender, your birth sex, has to be interpreted. That's, that's what we're saying here. The, even at the legal level, they're wrangling over the fact that this must be interpreted, and it can't be interpreted this way because it's always been interpreted that way instead. Now, they're talking legal precedent here. Which unfortunately, because of case law being allowed to stand when in the absence of actual legislation, we live in a time where we literally have to explain what gender means. Anybody else feel a little… Discombobulated by that. At any rate, the complaint continues on at that point by saying, as a result, the policy fails to protect school children who want access to bathrooms without transgender students by giving the latter group preferential access according to the complaint. The lawsuit also alleges that the threatened loss of federal funding for states that didn't comply with the directives, quote, would have a major effect on state education budgets, end quote. Now, reaction to the lawsuit from Texas school districts was mixed. Uh, Dr. Kent P. 
Squibner, superintendent of Fort Worth Independent School District, said in a statement, quote, I am an educator, not an activist. As an educator, my job is to provide a safe and nurturing learning environment so that our children can prepare for success. We follow the law. If the law changes, we follow the new law. You know, I kind of would have liked a explanation of whether or not he thinks that a directive from the White House is the same as law. Because if he thinks that, then he's the one in need of an education because that's simply not true. Now, if he's saying we're going to follow the law, and the law is that I protect students by having separate… Gender-specific bathrooms, then okay, kudos, great statement. But if you're saying we follow the law, and that means that now we have to let kids do what they want to do, that's not the law. Oh, that sounded a little funny there, didn't it? That's not the law. Okay. Uh, anyway, in recent weeks, Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick called uh, for. Uh, the superintendent to resign, accusing him of inserting his own politics into school policy after the district published guidelines in April seeking to protect transgender students from bullying. The policy also required school personnel to recognize however students self-identify whether oh, when it came to gender. The Herald Independent School District which is about 100 students and sits near the Oklahoma border with northwest Texas, is one of the plaintiffs. Superintendent David Thrott said he wasn't aware of any transgender students there, but said that the district signed on to the lawsuit, quote, to protect the security, dignity, and privacy of our students. On this past Monday night… The Harold School District passed a measure requiring students to use the bathroom of the gender listed on their birth certificate. The Human Rights Campaign, an advocacy group for lesbian, gay, and transgender people, said that the lawsuit was a misuse of tax dollars that seeks to block students from living authentic lives. Authentic Lives. The Human Rights Campaign said this is trying to stop them from living authentic lives. You're encouraging people to pretend to be something different than they biologically are, and somehow that's authentic? I seem to think back to the Princess Pride. I do not think that what it means what you think it means. Authentic means real, actual, factual. The authentic life means stop the transgender nonsense and actually be who you are. Stop being so hurt or damaged by what the world is doing to you so that you deny the truth of who you are and actually embrace it. Be strong, be tough, be be all these things that would allow you to be a successful member of our society. 
live an authentic life. But authentic means realistic. Feelings get confused in this scenario all the time. Michelle in the chat room asked, uh, how is it authentic if you have a penis, <laughs> but you're masquerading as a female? That's a great question. Great question. Crystal also pointed out well earlier when I was uh, talking about Georgia that uh, Atlanta is the gay capital of the South. And mentioned Tyler Perry Studios, and of course Tyler Perry. Well, not Tyler Perry helps to enunciate when you're speaking. Uh, dresses as a woman in all of his movies, so in a way he's representing a transgender character. So Crystal had to comment on my It's not the love <laughs> The Human Rights Campaign I, You know, I wonder if they understand that uh, The non-transgender people Have a right to privacy too But the President of the United States, not that this guy is actually the President. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This guy is, well, he's just the current occupier of the White House. He didn't actually win the election. I mean, I guess technically he did get the electoral college vote. So I guess that does kind of make him the president under the Constitution, but... He should have never gotten enough representatives to the Electoral College because he didn't win the election. He didn't win the first election. That has already been made public now. Yes, the only way he carried the votes was through people who aren't eligible to vote having voted for him. We, I thought he might have actually legitimately won the first election. Turns out that wasn't true either. But I know the second one, he didn't win. There were too many irregularities, too many districts that he got 110% of the votes, and there were still some votes for Romney. And no recounts, no looking into it. At any rate, I'm going to have to leave the culture war for a second and talk a little bit about Bernie. This past week, 
Bernie came out in support of primarying Debbie Wasserman Schultz. See, Bernie's not real happy with how Debbie's been running the party, and he, of course, blames the party and all those superdelegates for why he's not winning. And guess what? He's right. He has an excellent point. I would think that Bernie would understand, though, that all Debbie is really doing is taking the distribution of delegates and redistributing those delegates. The very nature of socialism – she is a socialist, right? That's what's been happening since this primary began. But at any rate, uh, Bernie said that he's throwing his support to the opponent of DNC chairwoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz in her Florida primary contest on August 30th for her congressional seat. The Vermont senator said in an interview with CNN, which uh, was broadcast today, that he favors Tim Canova in Florida's 23rd congressional district. The AP reported that Sanders has been feuding with the Democratic National Committee and Wasserman Schultz. Quote, I'm so proud to know that Bernie Sanders favors our progressive campaign. Like Senator Sanders, I'm running a campaign that's truly backed by the people, not big corporations. One that stands up to Wall Street interests instead of cozying up to them. Uh, that came from a statement from Canova's campaign. Now, Sanders said in a pre-taped interview that will be aired today on the network that Canova's views are much closer to his views. Quote, clearly I favor her opponent. Sanders trails Hillary in the Democratic presidential race, but he said if he's elected president, quote, she would not be reappointed to be chair of the DNC. Even though Senator Sanders has endorsed my opponent, this is Debbie now, I remain as I have been from the beginning, neutral in the presidential Democratic primary. I look forward to working together with him for the Democratic victories in the fall. Now, Sanders has, of course, accused the DNC and Wasserman Schultz of favoring Clinton. I wonder why. Maybe because they have? And he has criticized the party for scheduling debates on weekend nights, for having many closed primaries, and for its superdelegate system that has helped Clinton pad her lead. Bottom line… Debbie has decided that she's on board with Hillary, and as a result, she and the party as a whole, since she's the chair for the party, have been granting almost all of the superdelegates to Hillary. And when you look at the numbers and you break them down, without those superdelegates… This is a much closer race, and therefore, a long time, Bernie would actually be leading. 
So Bernie came out this week, and he said, that's it. No mas. I'm supporting the guy that's running against Debbie Wasserman Schultz, and he's got the cover of even being able to say that it's not just because of how they're treating me. It's not just because they're redistributing my delegates. He's got the cover of saying, well, this guy actually is a lot like me, which means he's a socialist, so-called progressive moron who thinks the government is the answer. The state will take care of you. We can give you everything for free as long as somebody keeps working to pay for it. So that's where Bernie is this week. And I, I kind of thought it was pretty cool that Bernie uh, felt the need to uh, get involved with rooting for somebody to beat Debbie in the primary. I, I don't think I have ever seen so many of these uh, candidates get so involved with primary within their own party trying to beat people currently holding office. <sighs> All right, here's another biggie. Here's a biggie. We're going to change up again. Hillary Clinton, of course, is still looking over her shoulder. You know, the Donald has decided to go after Bill, talking about the questions uh, surrounding his treatment of women, and you know, he's very wisely stayed away from uh, the consensual events. You know, when it comes to just items of, well, it's a question of character. He shouldn't be doing this. He's a married man. And he was in a public office. Uh, blah blah blah. But the consensual things are still consensual. And the bottom line is, is no Democrat is going to care about that. And make no mistake about it, Donald Trump still needs Democratic voters to jump ship if he is going to win in some of these states that are typically blue that he really needs to get, and he's got a pretty good chance of getting. I mean Donald Trump has an appeal to a large number of Democrats, and Hillary Clinton does not appeal to a large number of Democrats. Uh, need evidence of that? Need proof? I refer you back to the 2008 Democratic primary. Remember when Barack Hussein Ali Akbar Obama upended her candidacy? If Democrats were excited about Hillary, and I know if you're a regular listener, you've heard me say this before, so bear with me. If you're not a regular listener, this may be new to you, or you may have heard somebody else say it. But if Democrats were really excited about Hillary Clinton, there was no way an upstart from out of nowhere Manchurian candidate like Barack Hussein Alu Akbar Obama comes in and beats her for the nomination. It does not happen. She had her credentials in place. She had been a senator. She had been first lady. I don't know of any actual accomplishments, although I do love the fact that some people have worked hard to think of things that happened while she was in office and try to give her credit for those things. It's a lot like the way Bill Clinton keeps taking all the credit for the economic boon when he was president. Remember the stuff that Democrats didn't actually do, that Newt Gingrich and the contract with America did? That's what created the boom, but 
Bill Clinton took all the credit. Uh, Michelle had to run. Uh, thanks for uh, being with us, Michelle. Uh, always glad to have you in the chat room and interacting with the show. I uh, hope you have a great, fantastic holiday weekend as well. Anyway, with that in mind, here's the other big thing that Clinton has to be concerned about. Her time in the State Department, her private email server, is still a big issue. It's not a little thing. It is a big thing. This week, a State Department audit was released, and it found that Hillary Clinton disregarded cybersecurity guidelines by using a private email server during her tenure as Secretary of State. Renewing questions uh, this past Wednesday about a controversy that has dogged her presidential campaign since it began more than a year ago. Now, that part's really not anything new. But it's just that the State Department audit came out and said, yes, she broke protocol. She ignored guidelines, and she did this. Now, the report from the inspector general, first obtained by the AP and sent to members of Congress, found both she and – this is important – listen, previous secretaries of state poorly managed computer systems and cited, quote, longstanding systemic weaknesses related to communications that preceded Clinton's time in office. However – and this is big too. This is important. The audit says Clinton did not seek authorization for her email account, and by the time she took over as Secretary of State in 2009, the standards for email security were, quote, considerably more detailed and more sophisticated. So basically what they're saying right there is that while previous secretaries of states had not done a really good job of handling cybersecurity, that they still followed protocols. They'd still done what they were supposed to do. They just mismanaged that. She did the private thing and didn't get permission, and the guidelines had changed. There were more security concerns. She ignored them. More to the point, the department revised guidelines uh, through 2011, according to the report, and Secretary Clinton's cybersecurity practices accordingly must be evaluated in light of these more comprehensive directives. Now, in a statement, campaign spokesman Brian Fallon said that Clinton's opponents – are sure to misrepresent this report for their own partisan purposes. I guess that makes me one of her opponents. Oh yeah, I guess I kind of am, because I don't want her to win the election. She is Satan in a dress, okay? I'm going to go on. She is the only thing that would actually be worse than Barack Hussein Alu Akbar Obama, and she would be worse. She would be. I don't doubt it. She is evil. 
And that's not the law. Okay. Anyway, so Brian Fallon says that people like me and people like Donald Trump, I'm assuming, and maybe even people like Bernie Sanders, although he hasn't went that far yet, are going to misrepresent what this report says. We're going to say things like Hillary broke the law. This report shows that she completely disregarded protocols and standards that are in the office even if she hadn't broke the law, thereby proving that she is inept and incapable of performing the functions of Secretary of State. And if you can't be Secretary of State, then how on earth could you be President of the United States? Oh yeah, I am misrepresenting so much there. Not sure exactly what's being misrepresented, but I'm sure Brian Fallon could could critique what I just said and tell me what I got wrong. The report shows that problems with the State Department's electronic record-keeping systems were longstanding and that there was no precedent of someone in her position having a State Department email account until after the arrival of her successor. This is still Fallon, by the way. And then uh, he added that the report showed her use of a personal email, email account was not unique. He said it also showed the account was known to officials within the department and that there was no evidence of a successful hack of the server. Well, that's because a successful hack, there usually isn't much evidence. Not unless they want you to know they've been there, and if they're gleaning information, then they don't want you to know that they've been there so they can keep coming back. Now, the department's review came after revelations last year that Clinton's exclusively used a private email account and server while in office. The Federal Bureau of Investigation is separately probing whether classified information was compromised by her email arrangement. The investigation has cast a shadow over her presidential campaign, though Clinton is expected to clinch the delegates needed to win the Democratic presidential nomination on June 7th during the last round of state primaries, which will include the biggest delegate prize of California. The 78-page uh, report says that the department and its secretaries were, quote, slow to recognize and to manage effectively the legal requirements and cybersecurity risk associated with electronic data communications, particularly as those risks pertain to its most senior leadership. The audit gave Republican critics including presumptive Republican presidential nominee Donald Trump. Fresh ammunition. Crooked Hillary, said Trump, had a little bad news, referring to the report during a rally in California this past Wednesday. Not good, said Trump. It could be we're going to run against Crazy Bernie. The Republican National Committee chairman, Rance Priebus, blasted Clinton on Twitter, saying that her, quote, bad judgment had endangered national security. Following the release of the audit, Mark Toner, a State Department spokesperson, 
said that the department is, quote, already working, end quote, to upgrade email and record systems, according to the Associated Press. Uh, among the violations cited was Clinton's use of mobile devices to conduct official business on her personal account and private server. She did not seek approval from senior information officers who would have denied the request because of security risks. Clinton falsely believed – in other words, she was wrong – that the audit found that because her emails were being sent to State Department employees, they would automatically be preserved. Does anybody really believe that she believed that? Because I don't. She would have printed and filed them, the report said. She should have printed and filed them because she did not do so and surrendered them upon leaving. She did not comply with the Federal Records Act. This also led to gaps in her email archives, according to the report. Now, this is all old news. We know about the gaps. We know about the thousands of emails that were classified, that had classified information, even though they weren't marked classified. But they were classified. They were sensitive material. Hillary, 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 please, for the love of everything good in this world… Don't try and pretend like you thought that you, as Secretary of State, would be receiving electronic communications that didn't, on occasion, involve information that should, in fact, be classified, that would be sensitive even if it wasn't classified, and that waiting for it to be marked as classified was something you needed to do before you were concerned about it. Please tell me. Please, please, please tell me that that's not – but you see, that is. That is what Hillary is telling everyone. That is what Hillary is trying to convince people, and guess what? There are people who are buying it. I don't know why. I don't know how she manages to get people to fall in line with this, but they do. There are people believing her. I'm concerned. This is what America has come to. The report found both Clinton and previous secretaries of state poorly managed computer systems. They cited, quote, longstanding systematic weaknesses related to the communications that preceded Clinton's time in office. Got it. But the audit also said that Clinton did not seek authorization for her email account, which is required by protocol in the office and by federal law. She did not seek authorization. The report says that she would have been denied authorization for her private uh, mobile devices, and that by the time she took over as Secretary of State in 2009 – the standards for email security were considerably more detailed and more sophisticated. She never bothered to even check and see. She thought she could do whatever she wanted to do. Not exactly a new concept for Hillary Clinton. The report ultimately says that Secretary Clinton's cybersecurity practices 
must, must be evaluated in light of the more comprehensive directives because they were in place for her term in office, whereas they were not in place for previous office holders. So yes, previous office holders had done a bad job. They had done a very bad job of protecting our cybersecurity. Well, is the cybersecurity that needs protection? Okay, of following cybersecurity practices to protect sensitive information. That's a much better way of phrasing it. They had done a bad job before, but they at least recognized the fact, those in the State Department, that you know what? We've been doing a bad job of this. Let's make these new directives. Let's put these new protocols in place. Now everybody from the very top at the State Department – that would be you, Secretary Clinton – all the way down, we have these new guidelines. They're revised. Read over them. Follow them. This is what we do now to guarantee that sensitive information is being protected, or at least to guarantee that we're making a better effort at protecting them. There's no evidence that she even read the guidelines. There's no evidence that she knew. But there is evidence that highly suggests that the reason she wanted her private server was so she could conduct business through the Clinton Foundation and get all these awesome, awesome contributions to the Clinton Foundation from people in Saudi Arabia, from people in Syria, people who probably should not have access to the Secretary of State and definitely should not have direct access to the President of the United States. Bottom line, this should put Hillary out of the race at the very least. She probably belongs in jail or at the very least convicted and on probation. Give her something along the lines of what Petraeus got because the ultimate conviction here will be the same charge. Failure to adequately take care of and protect sensitive, pertinent information. So that's the biggest event on the Hillary side of things. Although now the Benghazi hearing also, there's some murmurs going around that, that the final report on that's going to be coming out in about a month, I think it was. And the Democrats are cry, crying foul, 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 because it's going to be after the final primary, but just before the convention. So again, this is believed to be some type of effort to unseat. It's the vast right-wing conspiracy at play again trying to keep… Hillary from being president. Oh, my goodness. That vast right-wing conspiracy, including everybody from Sean Hannity to Rush Limbaugh, involving everybody from uh, Chad Pennington to myself. This vast right-wing conspiracy, because I'm right-wing. I'm not a Republican. Technically, I am. I am actually a member of the party by virtue of contribution. But I've also made contributions to the Libertarian Party, so I don't really see myself as being a member of the party. The party has let me down 
It's to let America down. I would love for them to get their stuff together, for the establishment to pull back together and forget about this progressive big business Republican Party and get back to limited government and fighting for liberty and the Constitution. That's what I'm looking for. I may be joining the Constitution Party soon. Well, I probably really ought to look into that, and you know, most of us probably should too. If you believe in liberty and you vote in American uh, elections… Uh, yeah, that's the other big news for this past week too. Libertarian Party had their convention; they have their nominee. Uh, no surprise, Gary Johnson once again is the Libertarian presidential candidate. Will Gary Johnson, as the Libertarian, be able to get the Never Trump voters? I don't know. He'll get some. But will he do any better than he has done in any years past? I don't know. I don't know that I want to know. <laughs> I, I, I'm about over this particular election cycle. I don't know about anybody else. We haven't even got to the primary. I haven't gotten through the primaries. We haven't got to the general election yet, and I'm already so over this election. It is just, just about all I can take here. It's… Mind-boggling, to say the least. Been one crazy, crazy year. But anyway, another story that I definitely wanted to touch on. This one I came across at an awesome website. In case you're not familiar with it, it's uh, lifenews.com. If you are pro-life, you should be uh, visiting daily, and you should be signed up for their newsletter. And maybe even uh, if you feel like it, uh, contributing uh, to help the uh, Life News uh, effort. But at any rate, in South Carolina, uh, we've had a bill signed into law that bans abortions after 20 weeks, uh, officially when it's recognized that uh, the unborn babies can feel pain. Uh, South Carolina's Governor Nikki Haley has signed a bill that would protect unborn babies from painful late-term abortions. Uh, On March 8th, the South Carolina Senate passed the bill known as Pain-Capable Unborn Child Protection Act. That's a mouthful. Say that five times fast. Pain-Capable Unborn Children Protection Act. I guess maybe I could do it. Anyway, uh, they passed it by a strong majority. The state house, which is controlled by Republicans, approved the bill last week. The bill was – I'm sorry. The bill has exceptions in cases where the mother's life is in jeopardy and when doctors determine that the unborn baby has a fatal defect and cannot survive outside the womb. Now, doctors who violate this uh, legislation could face fines up to $10,000 and up to three years in prison. South Carolina now joins 13 other states in recognition the uh, in recognizing the humanity of the unborn child. That's a statement from Carol Tobias from National Right to Life president. Uh, she went on to say, quote, "The smallest and most vulnerable members of our human family need our protection." And South Carolina has taken a vital step to save unborn children who are capable of feeling the excruciating pain of abortion. The bill protects 
pain-capable unborn children from savage late abortions that frequently tear the baby's body apart limb by limb. Now, South Carolina's Citizens for Life Executive Director Holly Gatlin uh, has uh, reiterated the point of the bill protecting these children. Uh, Gatlin also said that the bill had strong bipartisan support in the Senate. No Republican senators opposed the bill, and nine of the 18 Democrat senators voted in favor of the bill, according to the pro-life group. South Carolina's Citizens for Life and the Pro-Life Grassroots Network worked tirelessly against the militant abortion industry, said Holly Gatling, the executive director of South Carolina Citizens for Life. Pro-life lawmakers prevailed. However, because of the dedication and hard work of the pro-life community that this bill was able to pass… In addition to South Carolina Citizens for Life, the legislation was strongly supported by a coalition of the Catholic Diocese of Charleston, the South Carolina Baptist Convention, the South Carolina Association of Pregnancy Care Centers, and the Palmetto Family Council. Last year, the U.S. House of Representatives passed a national version of the Pain-Capable Unborn Child Protection Act, known as H.R. 36. A minority of pro-abortion Democrats blocked consideration of the bill in the U.S. Senate last September. Quote, basic compassion for human life demands that this legislation be enacted all over the country. Uh, this quote coming from National Right to Life Director and State Legislation Mary Spalding Belch. She happens to be a uh, a judge with a doctorate in justice. I don't know if she's actually working as a judge, but she has the doctorate. She went on to say, quote, in our upside-down society, most animals have more rights than unborn members of the human family. We are thankful the South Carolina General Assembly and Governor Nikki Haley have recognized their solemn duty in protecting the lives of the most vulnerable. Haley has a strong pro-life record. Last year, Haley ordered an investigation of abortion clinics in the state following a national scandal involving Planned Parenthood selling aborted baby body parts. As a result, state health officials found multiple violations that have resulted in fines and other actions against the state's three abortion clinics. A state the, south of south, a state the size of South Carolina only has three abortion clinics. That's a little surprising, but considering that it is a rather conservative state for the most part, I guess it's not that surprising. In 2012, Haley signed two key pro-life bills to protect babies who are born alive after failed abortions and to opt out of abortions in the federal health care insurance in the Obamacare exchange. 
though abortion advocates deny the science of fetal pain. Do you get that? They deny the fact that fetuses can feel pain. Researchers have fully established fetal pain at 20 weeks or earlier. A national poll by the polling company found that after being informed that there is scientific evidence that unborn children are capable of feeling pain by at least week 20, 64% would support a law banning abortions after 20 weeks unless the mother's life was in danger. Only 30% said they would oppose such a law, and those 30% are members of our society that we need to be concerned about because they worship death and want children to die. Abortions on demand as a form of birth control. It's an abhorrent behavior and it should not be tolerated. One last story. I'm going to try to get it in real quick. Uh, this is just noteworthy. See, every now and then somebody gives back a little of what the Democrats are dishing out. And this time it was Bernie Sanders who got uh, a little bit uh, on the uh, pushback wagon. Seems that Disney CEO Bob Iger. Fired back at Bernie Sanders this past Wednesday after the Vermont senator suggested that the Walt Disney Company didn't pay its employees a living wage. In a private Facebook post, first cited by The Wrap, Iger touted his company's employment record and challenged the Democratic Socialists to provide evidence of his contribution to the American economy. Quote, to Bernie Sanders, we created 11,000 new jobs at Disneyland this past decade… And our company has created 18,000 in the U.S. in the last five years. How many jobs have you created? What have you contributed to the U.S. economy? Now, Sanders had railed against Disney during a campaign event in Anaheim this past Tuesday. Anybody make a living wage working for Disney? Sanders had asked the crowd. It's an example of what we're talking about when we talk about a rigged economy. This is not the first time Sanders had attacked Disney. He has previously accused the media company of exploiting people in China and called the company to keep jobs in the U.S. It's not uh, even the first time that Sanders has antagonized corporate executives either. Last month, he said that General Electric was, quote, destroying the moral fabric of America by shutting down factories and shipping jobs overseas. GE has been in business for 124 years, and we've never been a big hit with socialists. That from uh, GE chief Jeff Immelt. Uh, he went on in a Washington Post op-ed to say, quote, we create wealth and jobs instead of just calling for them in speeches. At any rate, an offending corporate titan, Sanders may have more in common with the Republican Party's presumption nominee than he does with his own. 
as CNN Money reported uh, CNN Money reported earlier this month, Donald Trump's anti-business rhetoric has been harsh as well. He called the Ford an obsolete disgrace for its investment in Mexico. He called the Ford. He called Ford, uh, and has repeatedly called out Carrier for planning to shut down plants in the U.S. Bottom line is, though, uh, you've got a socialist who seems to think that big business just exists and that there's no issues whatsoever. Also, in the final moments, let me real quick uh, let everybody know, in case you've been hiding under a rock, there is currently an FBI probe for Democrat Terry McAuliffe. He uh, happens to be uh, governor in Virginia right now. He's a former Clinton lackey. In fact, he was a major fundraiser for Hillary in the past. <clears throat> he is under FBI investigation for improper uh, contributions to his account from Chinese nationals. And it's also noteworthy that on CNBC there was an effort to – Talk about this story, and in the process of talking about the story, they incorrectly called McAuliffe a Republican. Now, I don't know if that was wishful thinking on their part or they were trying to further separate McAuliffe from Hillary Clinton, but maybe it was just an accident. I don't know, but bottom line is… It was a glaring mistake. Nobody on the panel even attempted to correct it, so it would lead one to believe that perhaps it was intentional. So now Terry McAuliffe's under FBI investigation. Hillary Clinton's under FBI investigation, and still Hillary is leading the pack to be the Democratic nominee. I'm still waiting for that uh, surprise that… Where Barack goes ahead and lets the FBI go after her, and he tries to sneak uh, crazy Uncle Joe in. At any rate, I'm going to have to go ahead and uh, bring this show to an end. There's never enough time. I mean I remember when I first started talking uh, on these shows, and I was thinking, how on earth am I going to fill 30 minutes? A quick shout-out to the underground professor who's hopped online uh, and joined the uh, chat room. Welcome, Professor. Glad to have you here. Just in the closing moments here, I'm afraid. Uh, but uh, wouldn't surprise me if Barack didn't try something along those lines, just for the fun of it. After all, I keep reminding you guys, Barack Hussein Alu Akbar Obama does not like the Clintons. Hillary is not safe. He is not going to po toe the party line. Now, maybe he does, but it's not a given. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> all right, that's it, everybody. Uh, I do want to wish everybody a very blessed Memorial Day weekend. And for everybody, remember, moment of silence, 3 p.m., your local time, is the tradition. Remember what this day of observance is for. 
our fallen heroes. All right. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for joining us. Always glad to have you here. Whether you listened in live, if you participated in the chat room, thank you for that. And then if you are listening to the podcast after the fact, whether it's right here at BTR in the archives or if you're listening on iTunes, wherever you're listening to the show, uh, Stitcher.com, TuneIn.com, Podcast.com, as a bajillion other places you can find me, thank you. I love being part of your day. Thank you so much for it. God bless everybody. Again, have a happy Memorial Day. And remember, don't take my word for it. Definitely, definitely don't take their word for it. Put some effort. Be prepared to work just a little bit so that you, in fact, can find out for yourself. Because you know what? You're really going to have to try just a little bit if you really want to tap into the truth that's it for this week we'll be back next week if all goes as planned god bless have a great week Heartbreak.